Hello, hello, hello. This is Rebecca Radio And Maggie Bacella. And this is Does It Get the Pass? A podcast where we arbitrarily decide whether rom-coms get the pass. This week, what we're deciding whether or not gets the pass is the 2023 film Anyone But You, directed by Will Gluck and starring Sydney Sweeney as B and Glenn Powell as Ben. And our per-letterbox description reads, After an amazing first date, B and Ben's fiery attraction turns ice cold until they find themselves unexpectedly reunited at a destination wedding in Australia. So they do what any two mature adults would do. Pretend to be a couple. That is an extremely misleading summary because technically this movie is an adaptation of Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. Does it read like a Much Ado About Nothing adaptation? We will get into that, but I feel like it's weird that they didn't market that at all. I feel like maybe it's just because it's the spaces that you and I run in that we Mm -hmm. knew right away that it wasn't much ado about nothing adaptation. And like, that's what it was like. Every article and post I saw was marketed to me as that. And then I remembered, oh, well, I have two degrees in English and I focused on Shakespeare in both of those degrees, the undergrad and the graduate one. So maybe it's just where I'm getting my sources but like i i actually to talk about the shakespeare stuff i actually really enjoyed the way they wove in like the lines from the actual play into like little like the set pieces like for the transitions um i thought that was very clever we did kind of allude to it maybe not being a perfect much ado adaptation and i don't need it to be cuz this is like in that same genre of like 10 things i hate about you and mm-hmm. she's the man and <clears throat> clueless um where they're just kind of using the story um as like a jumping off point and then remixing it for like a contemporary audience i actually really really liked what they did with it unfortunately like i'm not saying shakespeare himself would be proud or that it could rival shakespeare like some of the other like kind of films in this genre of like free adaptation but I did think it was really interesting I did like that there were lesbians um (laughs) and I think like there's enough of much ado about nothing in the story for it to work for me as a Shakespeare girly but yeah I I I liked the little like the set piece transitions with the quotes from the show and then also like the oh I just made that up when they would say an actual line from the show as part of the dialogue I thought that that Mm -hmm. was really silly and funny um but yeah. See, I have kind of the opposite perspective. And if you want a little bit more of an in-depth look at this, I reviewed this film for Collider. Uh, so you can go check that out. But uh, before we keep going, spoiler warning, if you haven't seen this movie, you should go see it before you finish listening to the pod. Uh, this is the one and only time we will issue a spoiler warning because we usually don't do uh, super contemporary movies. But I had the opposite problem. And I think it's there's a couple like facets to that. And it's one, if you're going to use the text directly, if you're going to piece put those pieces of the text directly on the screen as part of the set dressing or whatever, I think you're, you're kind of beholden to being a little bit more accurate to the source mm-hmm. material, at least in terms of the plot. Like, I, I do think the way the fake dating thing works as a romance plot generally uh, like, I, that's, you know, that's in plenty it's of fun. romance novels. I have no problem with it. But when you are specifically setting it up as a much ado about nothing thing, then I get annoyed because it is one of many misinterpretations of the whole fucking, not the point of that play, but the the kind of structure of it and the idea that, particularly with the idea that B and Ben in this only went on one date 
And the idea in the text, and I said this in my review, is that they've known each other for an extended period of time. There is in-text support, and I don't have the line in front of me to specifically Mm. quote it, where Beatrice says something along the lines of a devil heart for his single one, where she implies they were close enough that they had a relationship that potentially they were even engaged to be married. And so that I think that's my big sticking point. No, that makes sense. Is not that like any of what they're doing doesn't work. It's the idea that if you had changed like one or two things, the premise would have worked so much better. If they had been like a long-standing couple, even then, like the the whole long-standing couple, like exes ending up at a wedding together, that would have made more sense than just, oh, Ben happens to be friends with like B's friend. Like it was this weird kind of and this happens a lot in Shakespeare adaptations that are things like 10 things I hate about you or clueless where they have to like shoehorn all of the characters in together so they come up with these absolute bullshit reasons to like have every character in the play in the movie and that was one of them and also the thing that drove me up a wall and this is just a personal complaint this has nothing to do with the filmmaking is the fact that B and Ben's two exes are present in this movie and their names are Margaret and Jonathan. Whopping fucking guess what my brother and I's names are. Oh my god, I didn't even think about that. Like, like the entire time, I'm like, Margaret, what a name, right? And See, there's a Margaret in the play, so, so that silly. I can justify. I can justify the Margaret because she's in the play. She's the one that they try to make, like, play off as hero cheating on Claudio. But Jonathan, I guess, must have been their equivalent of Don John. But I'm like, of all the fucking derivatives of that name... You had to go with my baby brothers. Thank you so much That's for fucking so up the rest of this movie for me. That's so fucking funny to me. I'm sorry. I, oh my God. That's too much. That is way too much. Um, no, but what your criticisms like make sense about like, um, if you're going to include it, then be a little bit more beholden. And I, I think maybe I, I agree. I didn't give this a perfect rating. Um, I did give it three stars because there were things that like the shoehorning, mm-hmm. um, like getting them all in the same place. I'm like, Ugh. it felt lazy. It felt a little lazy. Although I will have to say, I found I figured out the way that this could have like leveled up for me and would have mm-hmm. made actually way more fucking sense if you see like, I know we, people call Ben and B kind of the first like rivals slash enemies to lovers and they're really not. They're yeah. a second chance because they were together. And most of the time people do, or not people, productions do play that they were engaged in the past or had mm-hmm. that kind of long relationship in the past and I think one of the things that would have made this even funnier and to bring in the secondary setting of this movie which is Boston um (laughs) is to have fucking Ben be from Boston College and because yeah he's a Boston University law student and as and I said this in my review too um I was like, since we're so close to the bean pot I can't say anything good about the fact that she went to BU um (laughs) Three more weeks, baby. Um, but like, I thought that that would be really funny. I'm like, it would have been so interesting to have them meet like when they were both going to school and like attending like these rival games or like meeting at a bar where BC and BU students frequent or whatever. I think that that would have made the tension of their relationship like escalate and have it make more sense for why they're in the same city at the same time. Yeah. Like her being in an internship and him being kind of like a finance bro, it. No, no, it doesn't do a single thing for me, unfortunately. But the fact that she went to BU and we don't really know where he went, that could have been so funny. Yeah. And it's one of those moments where, like, you cannot arbitrarily choose where you set your stories. Yeah. I think the Australia part 
made everything. It made sense because it's supposed like the original plot of the play is that they're supposed to be on this gorgeous Italian villa in the middle of nowhere and they're rich and they don't have anything to do except set each other up. Like that makes sense. And so the fact that like this destination wedding is happening in Australia, it's perfect. It works for me. I just I I wanted the Boston to be there more. And I might be the only person that would ever say that. But I wanted Boston to play more into this whole like tension that they've got going on and maybe elevate like some aspects of their, yeah. their fighting. I just think fighting. related to that, there's like no stakes that like they don't set up any stakes to make me give a shit about this mm-hmm. relationship happening in whatever the third act or whatever like they don't like you said if they'd been at rival colleges or if they'd even just known each other for longer than a fucking day then there would have been more stakes because that's kind of the whole backbone of much you do about nothing is just yeah people have so much stake in each other's lives because they're all kind of interconnected in that very unique way that only Shakespeare could kind of manage with an ensemble comedy. I mean, you see that kind of thing in stuff like Four Weddings and a Funeral, because I feel like that has a very similar plot to this, where like, you know, it's all set around a wedding and there's a very big ensemble sort of comedy cast, but there's stakes involved there. They're not necessarily stakes that I agree with, nor are they stakes that get the pass. But this film, I think, you know, does that rom-com thing where it's so focused on the comedy that it doesn't really give a shit about the structure behind the comedy. I wrote in a review recently, not from uh, anything but you, but for a different uh, film, that the plot was not so much a plot, but a framework to hang jokes on. And that's what I feel like this movie is. There's not really a good setup. And I do feel like some of the cast is like carrying it. Like Glenn Powell is carrying this fucking movie. Oh, yeah. Shoulders. No yeah, doubt about he- it. He, by and far, was the best part of this entire movie. There were Sydney Sweeney had a couple of her moments, but like like you said in your review, I think she was mostly phoning it in, which is sad because I really yeah. wanted to see her do a role like this and not the kind of like, you know, euphoria thing that she usually gets, you know, shoehorned into doing, unfortunately. Um, and I thought that like, I don't know, she worked in the funny moments. She didn't work in the romantic moments. Is does no. that read for you too? Yeah, I think, and I'm not going to read into the sort of gossip of it all. There were reports that they just, that Glenn Powell and Sydney Sweeney did not get on on set. So that's sort of part of the answer for the lack of romantic tension. But I just personally, I've not seen much of Sydney Sweeney's other stuff, but based on what I've heard about her in uh, reality, which is that sort of biopic thing that she did, I think she's just more suited to drama because she, she had some fun comedic beats, but I do like for one thing i think she was phoning in and i i got the impression that she did not want to be on that set at all which really ruins a rom-com for me it ruins any movie yeah. for me because it just makes you look like an entitled asshole but yeah she just did not have the chops to stand up against everybody else m- namely glenn powell who's already done rom-coms and then you have these background characters you have alexander ship and you have dermot mulroney who've done things like this before i mean mm-hmm. Dermot Mulroney, notably, you know, he was in The Wedding Date, he was in My Best Friend's Wedding and stuff like that. When you have background actors like that that are giving it their all, and then you have one half of a a romantic couple who is just not hitting their marks at all, then it becomes really difficult to invest any kind of emotional energy into whatever she's doing, especially when her scene partner is giving it everything he's got which glenn powell is basically the tom cruise of fucking millennials where he's just giving it 300 percent, whether it's a shitty movie or not so this is his jerry Maguire. this is his jerry Maguire. yeah 
what can I say? So that just means we are waiting on um, Glenn Powell's Eyes Wide Shut. And I do think that he should do a David Fincher movie. I don't personally like David Fincher, but like I would like to see him do more drama based on Devotion because it sucks that I can never watch Devotion again, given who else is in it. But yeah, like, oh, whatever. Oh, yeah, we're not going to talk so about much that on this to podcast. We, oh, yeah, we won't even we won't even go there. But um, yeah, I do. I do feel particularly disappointed by her performance and it did kind of it did ruin the movie like I was willing to overlook like shitty rom-com script I am willing to overlook almost every single shitty rom-com script so long as the chemistry is there and unfortunately the chemistry just was not there in the key moments I think in the important moments it just wasn't there I think they had too much fun being funny together but it just didn't carry over into the romantic moments which just it it sucks it sucks because this is a rom-com not a comedy with romance in it um like yeah. bridesmaids uh yeah like I've i could take her of... leave yeah i could take her yeah. leave the romantic moments in bridesmaids because it's a comedy yeah and that's what it is this is a rom-com, i've seen though. a lot of complaints about contemporary rom-coms where one of them was when they started focusing on raunchy moments over sincerity then that was what sort of ruined the modern rom-com and i have judd fucking apatow to blame for that i have beef with that man but two, that they, that, yeah, rom-coms just don't want to be sincere. And I don't think Sydney Sweeney wanted to be sincere either because they have that whole moment when, one, I thought this was such a stupid sort of way to bring them together was they're on the rehearsal dinner boat. Like they're on a boat for the rehearsal dinner and they fall or she falls into the Sydney Harbor and he goes to rescue her and they're on this fucking, what is it, a buoy? Believe, and that's yeah. where they have their sort of romantic like connection moment. Yeah. It's not fun. Like that situation is not funny enough for the sincerity to matter. It's just fucking weird. Like I've read other romance, like I've read books that are set in Sydney. There's a book called Wanderlust and I'm forgetting the author. I adored it. There is a sequence. It's a, it's about this, these two people who go kind of on a whirlwind, like worldwide trip together. There's a point where they have a very romantic moment climbing up on the Sydney Harbor Bridge because he is terrified of heights. That plays funny enough to have a sincere moment when she's comforting him. Floating in the water on a buoy in the, in the dark where you can barely see anything is not funny. The funniest part of that is the family on the boat trying yes. to get them back. And then they have that extremely awkward bit of harbor rescue lifting them out of the water to what? Like fucking... Some godforsaken, terrible Natasha Benningfield song. Yeah. It's so, like, and that's writing. That's not a performance thing. It is so, like, it's trying to construct a moment instead of letting the moment happen naturally between two actors that I was sitting in the theater going, do I have to sit through the rest of this? What hell awaits me in the last third of this movie? Yeah. It just felt trite. And, like... I feel and this is this is one of my one things that like this is what I would definitely change about the movie. I feel like it would have made more sense for them to be like back on the but like it I wanted the family to pull them back to the boat. Yeah. And they kind of go out of their way to make it so the family can't pull them back to the boat. And then I think like they should have been sitting on the edge of the boat, you know, like wrapped up in blankets or towels or whatever. And then having their sincere moment, not doing it on a fucking buoy. Yeah, it just didn't read for me the way I think they wanted it to. It was too much because there's so many moments in this that feel like the grand romantic gesture that the grand romantic gesture just kind of 
it doesn't work for me in the end. But the thing is, is that like, there's a reason that Rye Lane cracked my top 10 last year mm-hmm. because it is sincere. And yeah. there is a boat involved and there is a harbor involved. So yes, um, Rylane has the superior boat scene. Yeah. And so like there, there is a reason that I think that Rylane is going to be setting the standard for what rom-coms are doing. Not anyone but you. Yeah. I would sad if, you know, more rom-coms start to look like anyone but you as opposed to things that are like very creative and very interesting like Rylane. I did feel let down by half of this movie. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? There were parts. There were parts that I genuinely enjoyed. Um, yeah. but it's just, I, I really don't want all rom-coms to look like this. Yeah. And I wonder if it bit off more than it could chew because it was trying Probably. really hard to make Sydney like a character in the movie, like have the setting be a character. And it just, you could tell it was written by two Americans who know nothing about the country because it really was just them throwing comet, like putting people in a notable Sydney location and then just throwing comedy bits at them. Like, I'm so sorry. I do genuinely think Glenn Powell is an incredible physical comedian when it comes to doing comedy, but that fucking bit with the wolf spider where he ends up naked was just so painful to watch. Like, I mean, not from a performance like standpoint he sells from him it. because he sells he's, it. Yeah, like... he's doing the most, but from a writing standpoint, I'm like, what is the point of this for these two characters other than making the audience laugh? You are turning them into performing clowns, basically. There is no amount, there's nothing in this sequence that is bringing them closer together. You know, it's not like, you know, the scene in the original Much Ado About Nothing where they're at the the masquerade and Beatrice is insulting him to his face and that kind of makes Benedict the masks have the realization. Yeah. Like, there's the comedy beats or the moments where it's just the two of them are doing nothing to advance their relationship. Not even necessarily advance the plot. Advance their relationship at all. Like, they're basically from you know, the first moment of the film to the end, they are the same people. They don't change. Their relationship doesn't change. The only thing that changes is that they fucking bone. That's the only difference. Yeah, they don't even have sex when they first meet, which imagine thinking that much about a person you spent one day with and supposedly it was magical, but you didn't have sex. And I'm saying that as an asexual. Like... Yeah, like... Like, I just... Yeah, that that felt very strange to me. Um, This is someone, like... From the outside looking in at a heterosexual relationship, I was like, these heteros are not selling it for me. Like, I don't buy it. Um, no, it just, yeah. it just didn't work. Um, like, like, and again, it's this, it's all in the setup. It's all in the setup. Make Boston a character, even though yeah. she's only in the movie for 25 minutes. Make Boston a character. Make that part of the reason why they have this tension and this history. Like, I don't, I don't know. It would have been yeah. a two-hour movie then, and it didn't need to be a two-hour movie. Yeah, I was actually perfectly content with the length of this movie. Yeah, like, I was perfect. so much it, more it interested. It to be an hour 45 minutes. Yeah, I was so much more interested in every other couple in the movie. So the two sets of parents and then the lesbians. Why did we not get a whole yeah, movie about the lesbians? Please, let's, let's talk about the lesbians. Let's they do it. Let's talk about the lesbians. Um, I love them. I think they're perfect. It makes perfect sense to me why the lesbian sister would get married before the older heterosexual sister just because oh, lesbians yeah. are... L capital T like that. Um, yeah, and they of course, move, you, you know, yeah. you have keys before you have their phone number. Like, yeah. So it, it just it made sense to me, and I really liked that her being a lesbian was not a big deal. Again, yes. like it, it's just like Xmas. 
I, I'm I'm finding the lesbian representation I want and need. Like I actually really, really liked them. Like yeah. as characters, as a couple. I'm so glad they didn't try to shoehorn in the whole like Claudius calling Hero a whore on their wedding yeah. day thing. I'm so glad that the big change they made in that regard was to actually remove it from the plot entirely because it's not the point. Yeah. I, I actually really, really, really liked that change because yeah. it's one of the things that does bother me about Much Ado and doesn't work in Much Ado About Nothing for yeah. me as like a reader or not a reader as like a viewer, audience member, whatever. Yeah. It sort uh, of feels like w- when you get to that point, that part of the story and Beatrice and Benedict, it's kind of like two kind of stories running parallel. It's no longer just one interconnected story. And I do mm-hmm. love that they played it off with like pretending to fight so that they could shoehorn B and Ben back together. I thought that was like- Clinched it I for did, me. I did love the sort of the meddling to sort of get them together. I thought that was very cute. But again, that's due to the performances. You know, Alexander Ship and Hadley Robinson and Michelle Hurd and Dermot Mulroney and all of these people are so much fun and they're leaning into how silly it is that it works. I mean, I, on initial viewing, I did not like that they basically ripped the the sequence where uh, the, you know, the, 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 separate people kind of hide behind walls and try to convince Beatrice and Benedict. Yes. I don't think it worked just because, again, they played it too much as like a comedy beat and not as a plot beat. But I did think the performances were really funny, especially when the, the lesbians like drop down so, like to the ground the so that the on the deck, yes. can't <laughs> see them. I thought it was really funny. Like they, the performances there were great. I did enjoy that. I wish we had gotten more of it before they decided to just fake date. Because that, again, it doesn't feel like there's enough buildup. Like, they do it to them once. It happens once to Benedict, once to Beatrice, and then they decide to fake date. May I use my degree, ma'am? They only do it in one scene in the play. Do they? I thought it was more. Nope. Okay. One scene. Then that's on me for not remembering the play. So that, I was actually like, the whoa, I thought they were going to, I actually thought they were going to run with it way more because it's one of them, it's one of my favorite moments from the play because it literally, all Benedict has to hear, Beatrice likes me, I love her too, like, it, that's all it takes, that's all it takes, Yeah, like, and so I think that that's really funny, and I think it, I think so, that the, they did play it up, and I really liked that, Um, they really milked that one kind of scene it happens for all it's worth, and it was a little campy, it was a little silly, but the acting it, it ate for me, so much but fun. Yeah, yeah, I actually, um, my, my review is like half about that. I said, like, I believe in the power of lesbians stage managing their loved ones. Like, I mean, that's, that's you basically. That's me. I, I set people up all the time. I'm, I'm that lesbian. I set all of my, my friends up and I have friends that have like, I've set up that are still dating from college. So it's like, you know, my, my nickname was Don Pedro for a reason so we'll just leave it at that <laughs> exactly exactly and i wanted to highlight one more scene that i really liked and it has nothing to do with them as a couple it's b or ben teaching b's dad to dive into the pool because one i think that's such a perfect combination of actors because dermot mulroney and glenn powell are so good at being funny and like willing to take the piss out of themselves as leads that they really and I just thought they worked so well together as actors and it was nice to I'm gonna say it it was nice to not have Sydney Sweeney in a scene because it was so nice to just watch two people who are not phoning it the fuck in and and do something and it felt that was the one genuine moment of like connection and emotional like not catharsis but emotional development in the entire movie for me yeah no I really agree um 
I liked, I think that the reason why we liked the family scenes so much and like the the supporting cast and everything in this movie a lot more is potentially because of like the way that some people are trying to read Much Ado About Nothing these days. I saw a production of it two years ago um, at the Boston Common. They do Shakespeare in the Park every summer and they did Much Ado About Nothing two years ago. And it was set in the 90s. They were lesbians. Um, and the one big thing that the director mentioned in her director's notes was that like one of the reasons for why Benedict and Beatrice are so hesitant to get back together after they've like kind of lost their love is because they want the approval of their friends and family. They may. And so the director read it as like, Oh, maybe they were like together and like, didn't tell their family and their that like the stress of keeping it secret was like what led them apart in the first place. But now that they're trying like to rekindle this, all they want is their friends and family's approval. Mm-hmm. And I think that honing into the family and the the friends and the supporting cast in this movie actually does make this movie what it is. And I think that those were all of the moments that I really liked too. Like I liked um, the little stage managed wedding day fight. I liked, you know, um, them trying to talk over the tower and on the deck. And I liked how, you know, um, everyone else, but, you know, Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell interacted with each other for a reason. I think it's because the, if you don't, nail the family in much ado about nothing and i guess in you know derivatives and adaptations the the reason for why ben and beatrice get together just doesn't work so yeah i think that's definitely like a fundamental part of it and like why i get kind of annoyed because there's another sort of recent much ado like an actual like direct much ado adaptation that's a book it's called two wrongs make a right by chloe lease which does the same fake dating thing except it gets even fewer brownie points from me for being a much newer because it fucks up the family so royally like there's no parental figures there's no one for being ben to look up to you know to have any that you know whose respect they're looking out for and and want to achieve the they turn the thing that gets me is that i think it's very unique with much ado where uh hero and beatrice are cousins and not sisters because i think that's Mm -hmm. there's a very specific difference i think it works here because you need like with modern setups i think it works here but they do it in two wrongs make a right and it just like made me annoyed because it was very clear they were setting up a sequel that was based on taming of the shrew and i was like "Mm." but i yeah the family is such an important part of that and i think a lot of people forget that that they forget that shakespeare plays are really complex and not easy to adapt because everything going on in the background is usually still key to what's happening in the central plot like Shakespeare always has like 17 things going on and they're all interconnected. There's very few plays where I can think of that are Shakespeare that don't have that kind of aspect. Even like Comedy of Errors, which is a very straightforward slapstick comedy. There are seven things going on and you have to follow all seven things. And to give the screenwriters of anyone but you credit they did try to keep as much of that in there as they could. I do think it was a great idea to get rid of the whole Don John tries to convince Claudio that Hero's a whore, whatever. I think getting rid of that is a good idea just because it doesn't work in like a contemporary context. Like I don't think there's any way yeah. that you could do that now where unless you're your Claudio's a complete piece of shit and they weren't trying and to Claudio set Claudio isn't a complete piece of shit. He's yes. just a little stupid. <laughs> And yeah, that's the thing about the boys in this play. They are not, they're not dicks. They're just a little stupid. 
I think that like, yeah, no, that makes sense to me. And like, I like there are so many times where I'll say like, it needs to be a perfect adaptation or else I don't want it. No, I actually, the, the big changes they made, I had no problem with like, namely about like getting rid of a villain character entirely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, getting rid of the heroes, a horror storyline entirely. Yeah. Um, I was thinking the entire time, well, how the fuck is Dogberry going to come in? Um, because that's the funniest scene in the whole play. See, okay. Um, but that's, it's the name of the, the cake company. Is it? Okay, I wasn't paying attention yes. because the yes. my if I was going to do a modern much ado, I know exactly how I would portray Dogberry and the Tell the me Washington. more. Stoners. That's all you need. Oh, they just have yes. to be stoners. Like you just need like the cuz they I mean they did it in, you know, they've done it in Mean Girls, they've done it in 10 Things I Hate About You. You just have this class of stoners who are kind of dazed and kind of don't understand what's going on. That's the perfect way to do them now. And I see why they wouldn't have fit into this because they don't have the whole, um, you know, the whole subplot that is, you know, that they're necessary for. But, uh, you know, it's like, that's, if I was going to do it, that's how I would do it is just have them be stoners. It's such an easy. I love that. But I wanted to talk about, because you mentioned the sort of like grand romantic gesture thing. Mm, yeah, we can talk I about I wanted it. to talk about the one that they do in this because- Glenn Powell does damn near the exact same thing in Set It Up, but somehow it works so much better in that movie. Oh my god. Like, I know we just did Set It Up. I totally forgot what happens in the, the grand romantic okay. gesture. So, so I was waiting for you to set up the scene for me so I could talk about it. Fuck. Okay, I'm, I'll break it down. In Anyone okay. But You, uh, B runs away from the wedding because she's sad about dumb shit that doesn't make sense in the script and he she's at the sydney opera house right the like most iconic location in this entire movie and ben decides to run all the way there to go get her and make his big romantic speech in set it up uh mr set it up whose name i can never fucking remember has the same realization but instead of going to zoe deutsch's character instead of going to harper he goes to fix the problem he caused he goes to the airport where the bosses are going to go get married and convinces Lucy Liu's character that his boss is a piece of shit and to break up with him because he has this sort of moment of conscience. I think mm -hmm. that matters so much more in terms of those two getting back together than just going and making the big grand romantic speech in the, you know, iconic, behind the iconic visual, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that makes more sense. I was I was even thinking of that scene. I was like, doesn't he just leave the date with the model girlfriend? Yes, and, he like, does. Go choose her? I forgot that he goes to the airport and then chooses her and then yeah. um, shows up at their um, their place of employment or whatever. So um, I think that like, yeah, it just in anyone but you, it felt like an excuse to have the to have the landscape, to have the location. And I get it. We're in Sydney. It makes sense to have you know, a scene be there. And the moment that she was all like, you have to take me there. And he's like, it's a date. I'm like, oh, that's where the grand romantic gesture is going to happen. But I didn't yeah. know how it was going to work in. And it felt shoehorned in. So like I could, t I could take or leave the final scene. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. I think there could have been way more. There could have, mm, it just could have been done with more grace, with more finesse, one might say. Um, I think if I you had know. taken this concept and given it to a different screenwriter, this would have worked a lot better because this is Will Glock Probably. and I am blanking on her name. Please deliver it to me letterbox. So Will Gluck co-wrote it. He directed the movie, but Alana Wolpert also co-wrote this movie and she's never written anything else before. I feel like if you had given this to a screenwriter who at least has 
a little bit more experience making movies <laughs> that this might have turned out better. I also think Will Gluck was the wrong director for this because he the other two uh, rom-coms he's directed are uh, Friends with Benefits and Easy A. And I don't think the tone of those is the kind of tone you should have brought to a Much Ado About Nothing adaptation. You can leave the kind of plot structure the same. Like, you can leave the whole destination wedding thing the same. I don't think the comedy tone that he brought to that is the correct kind of tone. It's the correct kind of tone for something like Easy A, which is sort of parody yeah. of the whole concept of the Scarlet Letter to begin with. Yeah. The, if you, It feels like you're, when you start to parody a like a real rom-com, like a real sort of romantic- The then, original rom-com even? Then I just get annoyed. Then I'm like, you're making fun of what people love about rom-coms. That's my mm -hmm. problem with contemporary rom-coms is they always feel the need to be above the genre. They feel the mm -hmm. need to be above what people love about things. And I'm like, you know, there, there are reasons that like things like Gentlemen for Blondes are still beloved today. Like people don't look down on those they're classics for a reason because they're very sincere and you know that's obviously a different era of filmmaking but like classics are classics for a reason and you acting like you're above them doesn't make your film better it makes you look like a douchebag yeah and i think that's one of the things that like um made the 90s kind of era of like we're gonna adapt these classic works of literature and put them in high school settings like i think that that's where they work so well because they loved those plays. They yeah. loved those stories. Like, Clueless works so well because it loves Emma. Yeah. And I even think, I'll be honest, Easy A is probably one of my favorite high school movies because it, it doesn't hate Scarlet Letter. It loves Scarlet Letter and wants to call out Scarlet Letter for the things that are wrong with it and how, like, things like the Scarlet Letter are still happening, you know, in a contemporary high school moment. And also, like, I think one of the reasons why the comedy in like Easy A doesn't work for anyone but you is because um, Scarlet Letter does not have sincere moments. It's kind of a tragedy. It's kind of yeah. a fucked up story. And there there are moments in it like that, you know, Gluck decides to lift and everything. But like it much ado about nothing is so sincere. Like, I know we don't have the whole like heroes, a horror storyline in this. And I don't like that we call it that, but we have to call it that. Um, yeah. But, like, one of my favorite moments from Much Ado About Nothing is when, ugh, what's her name? Beatrice is asking Benedict, like, I don't know what to do. Like, my cousin has been, you know, like, lambasted in the street and blah, 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 blah. And then Benedict is like, I'll do anything for you because I love you. And she's like, then kill Claudio. And sometimes yeah. it's played very, like, serious. And sometimes it's played very funny. Like, I'm not doing that. Like, and I was like, I think. I wish we had a moment like that in this movie, even if it's not like, you know, the same or whatever. I wish that there was a moment like that where they have that kind of conversation where it's just the two of them talking about like the most important people in their lives, honestly. Yeah. And so it, just, it yeah. just, it hurts a lot that we don't get a moment like that. Yeah. In, Cause in that's such a moment of emotional vulnerability, at least for Beatrice. And we don't get that. The closest thing we get is, Ben figuring out she dropped out of law school, which I, the the resolution to that of her parents finding out and flipping their shit was such a badly done version of that trope. Because for one thing, I fucking detest the whole like kid hide secret from their parents and then their parents flip their shit. It's not like she came out as gay. She dropped out of law school. 
they're probably rich enough that it's not gonna fucking matter whether she's saddled with a shitload of student loans or not. Like it was played yeah. like the the Dermot Oroni and the actress who played her mom, I cannot remember her name, they did fine. They they played it for what it was, but I think that's a really shit way to create a third act conflict because you're shoehorning a trope that's been the, the horse has been beaten to death so much that it's just bones. There's nothing there. It's just bones at this point. Like, it's, you can do that kind of thing with Grace, with, you know, in a way that makes sense and is emotionally impactful. This was not emotionally impactful. This was Alana Wolpert and Will Gluck going, fuck, we need a third act conflict and panic writing something in. Like, that was the yeah. only, like... I, I liked that they replaced the the sort of heroes of whore thing with that, but I don't think it was well done at all. Especially because I saw the cake disaster coming 20 minutes before it happened. Like that it was such an obvious you have to go pick up the cake. Yeah. Well, this is gonna go wrong. Like it's so yeah, it's obvious and not even in like a winking fun way. Yeah, it just it like like I said, the third act conflict just felt so trite. I guess maybe now is a good time to mention the past. Um, it doesn't. Does it? I think I, maybe in a weird, fucked up way, it gets the past. There's no cheating. Well, no, because there's that whole idea that like they hate each other because they didn't bother to fucking communicate when she comes because they they have this. Oh one idea yeah. That she sneaks out at the in the morning to like go to work or whatever. She tries yeah. to come back to tell him she's interested in him. She comes. She like walks in on. Ben and the fucking whatever equivalent he's supposed to got us supposed to be. He's supposed to be Don about. Pedro. He's, yeah, that's not how it read. That's not how it read to me. I knew um, it only from the name. Yeah, yeah, but he comes on, along and then she misses the part of like he's bullshitting Don Pedro or whatever the fuck into believing that like he didn't care about her, and they don't bother to talk about that ever. I don't think they ever bring that comment. Like, they never resolve, like, oh, I thought you hated me. Oh, you know, I thought you ran away. I don't think they ever address that, at least from what I remember of this movie that I saw two and a half weeks ago. Like, <laughs> I, they, ne they never address that. So it's just their entire relationship's built on abject bullshit. So it's, yeah, it. I'm just going to say it doesn't get the pass on that round, if only because this movie fills me with such inimitable rage. rage. <laughs> yeah, no, I would... Um... I remember we talked about this after we did like at midnight and I'm like, what, what demographic is this for? And I do think this is like girl adult sleepover movie. I think this is TikTok smut book reader, like demographic. Oh, well. like, and I mean that in a very derogatory sense because I keep reading romance novels because I love romance novels. I love rom-coms. I love romance novels, but it seems like a lot of the ones coming out now that are specifically marketed towards adults like 20 somethings are so focused on surface level these people are hot they want to bone each other there's no emotional depth no emotional connection that makes me want to give a shit and i've read a lot of those i two star a lot of romance novels on goodreads i feel like it's built for the kind of crowd that reads that kind of shit that reads like icebreaker and oh know, my god as you were describing that i was literally looking at icebreaker <sighs> on my fucking <laughs> desk right now and thinking about how much i cannot finish this novel but i paid money for it so yeah I'm like, it's i feel like yeah. this movie is catering to that kind of romance audience that just is in it for the hot people and the smut and there's nothing wrong with that 
but don't call it a romance anything if that's what it is call it what it is erotic fiction because like trust me i've spent enough of my time on archive of our own in my life to know the difference and there's nothing wrong with either of them but they are two very distinct very different things i was literally gonna say i was like i do have some recommendations that if people actually want to read something decent i will say um probably the best version of like an enemies to lovers um like situation that i've read recently i read iced out i I think it's by like something read i cannot remember her name but it's so good like they've been on the same team they've had beef since high school and then they start fucking for the superstition of it all but it has it's such it has such sincere romantic moments yeah that like i kind of like this, the sex scenes, they're great, whatever, but it's the sincere romantic moments that they have when they're on break together and visiting each other's families and bonding and actually talking about their lives instead of arguing with each other for the first time. Chef's kiss. Yeah. It was really, really good. It was really, really good. Like, yeah. And so I definitely I recommend a, I Stout. I have a similar situation with that Wanderlust novel that I read, which is by L. Everhart. I did find her, her name on my Goodreads. But the basic premise is that it's this a woman who works at a journalist like at a publication in London and she wins this like radio one contest to take a trip around the world but the catch is that they have to pick someone out of her phone to go with her and the person they end up picking is this guy whose number she got one time at a club after she made out with him and so they get together and he's stuffy as fuck and they hate each other because they're so completely different and they so it's not a stupid they're just kind of like different people it's not necessarily enemies to lovers but then they end up having these really emotional sort of moments together and that's that you get that kind of development and yeah they do sleep together by like the third act of the novel but it's so much more about like you know yeah they had a connection clearly in the past but it's so much more about the the connection they have going forward that matters yeah oh i I really need to read this now i'm gonna i'm gonna be going down to the bookstore sometime this week with some friends so i'm might have to go find that because I really like the setup for that because like I it's it's so bad I cannot finish Icebreaker and and I like the way I've been reading it I'm like oh it's trying so hard to be much ado about nothing yeah but like a contemporary spin on it oh and that's why I hate it when like I I know that in theory much ado about nothing is the first kind of like enemies slash rivals to lovers rom-com but I don't really know if it is. I think I think I'm going to stake my this is I'm going to use my degree for this. I do want to start calling Much Ado About Nothing a second chance rom-com. Yes. And second chances can have elements of that like enemies or rivalry, especially if the couple was together in the past and is now brought together again. Yeah. Um, if it's that version of it. But and like, I, I really don't want to call Much Ado About Nothing enemies or rivals to lovers anymore. See, and I don't even think I would call it enemies to lovers because I think people mistake why there's an appeal to enemies to lovers, at least for me, because really the enemies to lovers that work for me is not so much enemies where they're ju- they're just dumbasses. Like Beatrice and Benedict are dumbasses to lovers. Yes. Like, that's what they are. They're they not are idiots. They are they just a little stupid. Yeah, they don't have a real reason to hate each other. They're just fucking stupid and stubborn. Like I've said this about Benedict a million times before. He's just a little stupid. That's and like I said that about Glenn Powell in Anyone But You. I was like, he understands that Benedict's not awful. He's just awfully stupid. Like, and I think yeah, Glenn Powell's that's really real. Glenn Powell is immaculate at playing himbos. He does it really well and set it up. He does it really well here, despite being the only one putting in 100% effort. 
he does that really well. And I think I said this on our Set It Up episode, but it does make me sad that he is kind of leaning towards the action hero career route rather than continuing to do rom-coms. I know that that's the sort of like best case scenario financially for an actor. And I totally understand that. But I, I kind of wish that, you know, maybe while he's doing all these like Top Gun, Twister-esque movies that every couple of years he'll take some time off and make a goofy ass rom-com. I want him, I still want him and Zoe Deutsch in another movie together. I know that the one I they were planning on got panned by COVID, but like, come on, let's make it happen because they have incredible chemistry. I also think he would do, for some reason, do really well in a um, rom-com with Haley Lou Richardson, who was- We did talk about that, yes. Wonderful in Love at First Sight, which we should definitely cover on the pod at some point, but yeah, they're- I agree. They are both very funny people without- like saying look at me I'm funny you know in their acting yeah no again I love Haley Lou Richardson I think she's such a good young actress um and like I unfortunately I've got someone else in my eyes for Mr. Pressline otherwise I'd say that I think that Glenn could pull it off um yeah just if only because like the two leads of Pressline have always been people of color to me um and that's always been something that I've thought about um, but I I really want to see Zoe and Glenn Powell do another rom com. I'd really like you know what, and I'm I'll be honest. I I want to see Sydney Sweeney in a different rom com. Yeah, or I want to see her in a comedy with romance. Sydney Sweeney could pull off a bridesmaids yeah. style of movie because I think she and so was maybe better- maybe that's what she needs to do. Yeah, I think she was better at the funny things than she was at the romantic things. Like I don't. Yeah, I because I've really not seen her much else, so I don't want to decry her acting ability. As a professional watching that movie to review it for Collider, I did have to look at it and say, you are reading your lines like a child forced to in a high school Shakespeare class. Like, that is exactly how you sound. But I'm not going to completely, like, dismiss her ability because clearly, you know, she did really well on Euphoria. Clearly, she's got a a good career ahead of her. But also, I'm just begging studios to give a shit about chemistry before they start making movies. Like, fucking screen test people together because... Just make sure that they work together. I think that's because the shittiest scripts can work when your leads have chemistry. I'm specifically thinking of all of the terrible movies that I have put you and all of my friends through. Like Love Bites is a good movie. Shut the fuck up. You need to drop that. You need to drop that. Like, I'm so serious. I say it's a shitty. Good movie. I say shitty very, very affectionately. But like, yeah, you can watch a quote unquote terrible, like, two dollar budget movie and if the leads have chemistry it will work and i think that's what studios misunderstand about rom-coms is that we're not watching it because we want to laugh we want to watch hot people fall in love like the fuck i don't give a shit about anything else i want to watch hot people fall in love and i want it to be convincing i want to like lament the fact that i don't have that in real life like that's what i want out of a rom-com i'm not looking really to laugh if i laugh cool but I would much rather be invested in the couple at the center of it than be worried about, like, whether the jokes hit or not. Because I've reviewed plenty of things where I've said, you know, some of the jokes don't really hit, but it doesn't matter because everything else all does that. Like, if your plot and your actors and your chemistry is strong enough, nothing else matters. Yeah, I just watched Music and Lyrics and The Proposal over Christmas break with my mom. And she she's the one that got me hooked on Music and Lyrics, obviously. So yeah. that was good. But I realized then that the movie isn't really that funny. 
Yeah. Like the movie honestly is not that funny. And it's got a couple funny moments, mostly in the Cora character. But yeah. other than her, the movie's not funny. And then in the proposal, it's a funny movie. It's a really good example of fake dating, in my opinion. It's the best yeah. one. The things that sell those two movies is the fact that they have such insane chemistry and that they're all hot people. But like, you know, they have such insane chemistry in the proposal that it makes all of the stupid, funny shit. I don't know, kind of actually work. And it makes a exactly. sincere moment. He even saves her when she falls off the boat in that one, too. Yes, exactly. So clearly like, that scene in anyone but you was a nod to the proposal because that's the moment that brings them together. Unfortunately, in the proposal, it works better because they have better chemistry and because they're having that bonding moment on the boat and not on a motherfucking buoy. Exactly. It always yeah, goes like, back to the buoy, baby. Like, And like, speaking of things we watched over our Christmas break, I watched The Wedding Date for the first time and like, I'm not the biggest ever messing movie, but there is that one fucking line where they're laying on the bed and Dermot Mulroney says, I think I'd miss you even if we never met. Bitch, what? Like, that, my, that I lost makes me go my crazy. Mind. It makes me go insane. And, like, that's the kind of shit I want out of a movie. I don't care if it's not funny, because really, The Wedding Date's not, like, a super funny movie. Yeah. But, like, that moment, I was like, well, fuck me gently with a chainsaw. Now I'm invested in this, like... That's all you need. And I don't think big studios who are super concerned about budget and box office and things are aware of that. I think fucking David Zaslav and every other son of a bitch who, you know, keeps canning movies is just blind to that fact when every rom-com lover has been screaming that at them for the past 10 years. Yeah, I was, it just, it all makes me think of like the fact that like a lot of these actors are saying that they want to do rom-coms like Ben Barnes wants to do rom-com or he at least wants to play romantic leads. And like I would kill to see him in a rom-com. Yes. Because he's, he's a suave motherfucker. It would be he like is. funny. Let him play a singer. Let him play like a lounge singer or something because he's got an incredible oh. voice. Yeah. Like let him. Yeah. And he has that like charm to him. He's played nothing but assholes in the last like six seven years between assholes villains dickheads child murderers you know exactly between fucking shadow and bone and the punisher and whatever yeah yeah so like let him do something like fluffy and fun i think he'd be really good at it i I, i'm sure that's something we'll talk about like later on if we ever do an episode on like who we want to see in rom-coms but like how has he not done one yet like that's insane yeah like and tom hiddleston i don't think has ever played a romantic lead which other feels, than Crimson Peak, which doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, it feels criminal. Yeah. That Tom Hiddleston of all men and Ben Barnes of all men and have like, never done romantic or leading. Like, has has Dev Patel ever played a rom-com lead or like a romantic leading man? Yes, he was a romantic leading man in that movie Lion. It was also a coming of age story, but there was yeah. a subplot where he had a girlfriend. And I need that him was... to do more of that. Oh, wait, wait. Dev Patel did Slumdog Millionaire? Oh, I forget that. That, that is movie a romance exists. movie. That, all that, the time. Is, that was his first role. Okay. It was a romantic movie. Okay, but I need him to do more. Like I'm very desperate for him to do more of those. Preach. I mean, there's I have a I have a like short list of actors that I would love to see do either more rom-coms or rom-coms in general. Some of them I know never will. Like John Bernthal's been on the top of my do a yeah. rom-com list for the last 15 years, and he's very explicitly said he never will. And I'm like, I will write you a fucking script, my man. Believe me, everyone would lose their minds, but like 
I just, this is a conversation for like its own dedicated episode. I know. I feel like, well, we've been like batting some ideas around for like a potential like Valentine's Day special because the anniversary of this podcast, like when we first sat down and recorded was Valentine's Day last year. Dear God. <laughs> so we, we're going to be batting some ideas around. We'll see what works out. But um, yeah, I mean, we've lost the plot. Um, Anyone but you does not get the pass, I think. We yeah, we kind of liked it. it. We kind of didn't like. Just, there's just things that it could be doing better. Just watch set it up instead, or just watch, yeah, just watch any up. of the other filmed much to do about nothing adaptations. You have options. Yeah, like um the 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 official diagnosis is literally go watch the Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson version yeah, because it's please so peak that no one has dared touch it. Yeah. Or if you want like a straight comedy version, go find the filmed uh, stage version that stars David Tennant and Catherine Tate because that that one does skew a lot more comedy. So if you want like a comedy comedy version of Much Do About Nothing, just go watch that. Don't waste your theater money, rental money on anyone but you. It's just, it's, I know Glenn Powell is pretty. It's not worth it. Yeah. uh, God, Sydney Sweeney, my hot queen, you can't do this to me. I can't keep defending you based on White Lotus alone. Like, if do. if Madam Web is bad, I think you'll just die. No, I I, I want Madam Web to be bad. I already fair. <laughs> the thing is, though, it's it's. I already know it's gonna be bad. I unfortunately, I just don't care. Like, what's the meme I made for it? Madam Web is turning your kids gay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's that's all I need it to be. I I only need it to be someone's like lesbian awakening, and that. That to me will mean the movie is enough because the Avengers is not a good movie and it was still my lesbian awakening. I think the shittier the movie, the more like strong your lesbian awakening is. And that is my official diagnosis. Um, That's true. But yeah. (laughs) Anyway, to wrap up before we get even further off like track, uh, if you want to follow the pod on socials, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at GetThePassPod and on Letterboxd at ThePassPod. If you want to follow me on socials, you can follow me on Instagram at Maggie Rachel underscore spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L on Twitter at Maggie underscore Rachel and on TikTok at Maggie Rachel. And if you look up Maggie Bacella on Collider.com, you can also see my full review of Anyone But You. If you'd like to follow me on socials, you can find me on Twitter at With a Hero and on Instagram at King of the Chess People. And also just a lovely welcome to all my students who are now allowed, are now allowed to listen to this podcast um, as of two weeks ago. <laughs> Hi, um, BC students. Yeah, hello, BC students. Um, sucks to be you, unfortunately, um, <laughs> like Ms. B. Uh, but our next film is going to be the 1990 classic, our second Gary Marshall movie, Pretty Woman, starring Richard Gere as Edward Lewis and Julia Roberts as Vivian Ward. I did text Maggie kind of in a drunken daze being like, we need to do Pretty Woman like last week or something. That's where that's why we're doing it now. Um, but yeah, any thoughts on Pretty Woman? Can you believe I've never seen it? I, I totally forgot that you've never seen it. Oh, my God. I'm I, so excited. So I know all of the like iconic bits. Like I, I'm familiar enough yeah. with this movie, but I have never actually sat down and watched it because I feel like it was one of the ones as a kid where my mom was like, mm, she's a sex worker, so maybe this is not the best thing to be showing my child. But, like, I've seen other Julia Roberts rom-coms, so I know it's going to fuck severely. And I do love Richard Gere, despite the fact that I get him confused with the guy from The Nanny all the fucking time. So I am very excited about this. Yeah, I'm, I really, this is my, my, my most problematic trait is that I really do, honestly, like, 
like sex worker stories. I think that they're really Mm -hmm. interesting and help bring a lot of like conversations that we have about love and romance and intimacy and eroticism and sex like into they call that that kind of profession just calls those things into question. And I think putting it in a rom-com it's just like this is this is such a good movie to me. And I think the iconic bits are iconic for a reason. The sincere moments are so gorgeous. Um, I haven't seen this movie in a really, really long time. So this might just be high school me talking, but I'm I'm really excited to do this movie again um, and to watch it and enjoy it with you for the first time. That's so exciting. Yes, um, I'm very yeah. excited. Don't go don't go watch anyone but you do literally anything else with your time. Uh, I hope you we hope you had a happy new year and we will see you next week. Bye.